Align Your Practice podcast with Dr. Cliff Fisher, where your best practice and life awaits you. Are you tired of running a practice on your own? We want to come alongside you with experts to help you create your dream practice and your dream life. Here is your host. All right, Tribe. Welcome to Align Your Practice with Dr. Cliff and Adam Carroll, special guest brought to you by Align Life, where we want to give you the tools to find and create your aligned life. If you guys missed last episode, go back. Like it was a 10. Like it, there was so many bombs dropped and so many things like just nugget, nugget, nugget. And this one's just going to be a, like round two. Like this is going to be a heavyweight bout because finances are a tough, you know, a tough competitor and they mostly knock you out. Honestly, like, you know, like when you hit bankruptcies and stuff like that, it's not like it's like jab, jab, jab. Most of the time it's just a big knockout because we haven't planned and prepared. And so this episode, what we're going to really be talking about is like one, just to start to create the budget. Cause so often like people don't budget for their life, their business. Like if you ask any of the chiropractors, like I would say nine out of 10 don't have a budget for their practice. Some have a budget for their, their life, but most don't honestly. And so I would love just to dive into this, Adam, again, round two. I'm so grateful for you to be on the show. I'm excited to be with you again, Cliff. This, um, this topic is near and dear to my heart, particularly for entrepreneurs who are starting practices and wanting to build business and all of that, um, because I was in the same boat, you know, two decades ago and struggling with the whole, how do I budget? Where does the money come from? Where does it go? Um, and I've learned, I think you said, I have scar tissue. That, that <laughs> yeah. was your, your verbiage in the last show. I have scar tissue that I can scrape back and show people what, you know, what not to do and what to do. Uh, which is what I've learned over the last couple of decades. And I love it too, Adam, because we're talking like you're 20 years in the rear, like this is where it started and this is what it can look like. Yeah. I think we have so many students who like it's such a big mountain to climb that they don't even try. They're just like, I can't even get there. Why should I even do it? I'm just going to get by, do what yeah. I can. So yeah, no so, question. Yeah. Um, we, uh, if you don't mind, I'll start out with a story too, Cliff, because th- this this will tee up exactly what we're talking about today. Um, when I first got started in business and I'd opened my own company, um, I, originally my intent was I was going to be a, a, just a professional speaker. And I started building a speaking company. Um, as luck would have it, we had two whoops babies in a row. And um, <laughs> they're both blessings, both miracles. Uh, my sons, we had my daughter first. She was planned. And then two like, oh, it's time, oh, I guess. Hey. And every time that we were about to have a kid, I was starting a business coincidentally. Oh, my and, gosh. you know, the, the added pressure of now we've got diapers and, you know, daycare and all the things to pay for uh, and starting a business where your cash flow is not always consistent. Yeah. My wife would often say, are, are you going to get paid this month? Are you going <laughs> to send money in? What, like, what's the deal? <laughs> and I remember at one point, I had I had a number of clients, I had a number of gigs, engagements that were booked. I knew money was coming in, but I had an accounts receivable issue. And you may you may not know anything about that, but oh, I'm sure. Yes, I know a lot about that. <laughs> so when, when you look at your, your AR and you're like, oh my gosh, there's plenty of money. It's just not here. Um, and plenty may have been a stretch. There was enough. It wasn't plenty. There was enough <laughs> coming in. And I remember walking into my bank one day and I, I went up to the uh, to a private banker and I just said, I have a question. I've been here for a year, maybe two. Um, could I get a business line of credit, just like a cash flow line? Because I have money in AR, but 
but I don't have it right now and I need to pay salaries and expenses and whatnot. She said, oh, let me check. And she clicks away on her keyboard <laughs> and she says, oh, okay, well, you, yeah, yeah, that should work. Yeah, I could give you $47,000. And I was like, what? <laughs> but in the moment, this was my other thought, Cliff. I knew that the business was coming. Yeah. But where I was at was I needed to know a specific amount that I could pay myself every month. Okay. Because my wife said, how much are you going to send? And I, and I was kind of like, I, I, how much do we need? Yeah. And she said, if you put, and I think at the time it was $3,500. If you put $3,500 in the account, we'll be fine. We're not going to get ahead necessarily. We're not falling behind, but we'll be fine. And so what I did was I said, every month from here on out, I'm going to put $3,750 or $4,000 or whatever that number is. So she feels confident. And I know that I've got the opportunity to fill that bucket in if I need to borrow from that line of credit. And two things happened for me in that moment, Cliff. One was I realized that when you own a business, it's not about like, oh, I made 30 grand this month. I made 10 grand this month. It's how much do you need consistently, just like an employee would yep. to live your life at a, at a, at a semi-decent level. And every quarter, every six months or every year, you're going to true up. Meaning if there's distributions or dividends you can take from the business, take those out. But your job as an entrepreneur, actually from a budgeting perspective, is to figure out what do I need to live on? I'm going to pay myself that base rate. And if I don't have that money coming in, I'm going to have a line of credit to help me stay there. Yeah. Because consistency and predictability of income is central to budgeting. Huh. And that lesson has served me so well over time. And I tell entrepreneurs all the time, I know you're an entrepreneur. I know you're a business owner. You're an employee of your own company. Yeah. So pay yourself as such. And then the bonuses and all that are what you get for being the owner. Wow. When you were sharing that, I had a similar story. I had two stories in that. So, and I was one of the things that one of my mentors always taught me was pay myself first. Um, because there's never enough money to take care of everything, but there's always enough money to take care of what's necessary. Yes. And um, I remember we were kind of in that same space. We were in our first year. I, I want to say the first six months or no, it would have been the it would have been second year with that. So the second year and it's like money would come in, but money would go out like all the expenses, building a business. And I remember one day my wife said, sh sh same place. Like we didn't have any money. We had no idea. Um, we were making, I think $500 a month. It was what our salary was for that first year. So that was, and it was hard to pay at first, but, um, but when we started to do that, then she went to the space of, well, we need to save 10% of our money. Cause that's just what we do. And I'm like 50 bucks. I'm like, she goes for retirement. I'm like, what is 50, 50 bucks isn't even going to buy dinner. Like, why am I doing that? But what it was right. was a habit. And so, but I remember she said, I need this much money. And when she told me that, I'm like, great. So I was laser focused on whatever I needed to do to collect that amount of money that month, which was $30,000. She said, if we can get over 30,000, we can pay our bills. We can pay this off. We can, you know, we'll be in a good place. I'm like, okay, I'll do whatever I need to do. And so sure enough, we just put that just like last time we talked about, asked the right question and said, okay, cool. What do I need yeah. to do to get $30,000 collected this month? Totally. And we did it. So yeah, I think you, it's you, really you, um, mentioned a word. I don't want to let it go like unhighlighted here. <laughs> and that is habit, the habit of putting money away. 
mm-hmm. is central to to budgeting and to everything that we're going to talk about here today and in the next couple episodes. Um, on that note, you know, one of the the stat the, the stats out there that is truly mind blowing to me is that somewhere around sixty three or sixty four percent of the American public could not come up with five hundred dollars cash in the event of an emergency. Oh my gosh! And when we started raising our kids and figuring out a different way to raise them around money and how to budget and set the right habits, um, I knowing that that stat had come out, I think it was it was um, uh, uh, CNN Money or one of those sites ha- had shared this stat, and uh, I said, "Well, this is a habit problem. This isn't this isn't their inability to make the money or have the money. They just don't have the habit of putting mon- the money away." So they have access to it. And when my kids were five, we mandated they had to have $300 in an emergency savings account. So they would get birthday money and Christmas money and whatnot. We would take them to the credit union. They would you know, look over the counter and put their money up. And I want to make a deposit. And we would celebrate that with them. Well, by the age of seven, they had to have 400. By the age of nine, they had to have 500. And my friends would say, Adam, what on earth kind of an emergency would a, a nine-year-old have? that would necessitate $500. And I would tell them none, you know, ideally we'll cover any of those, but it's not about the $500 at nine. It's about that if they have $500 at nine, they'll have it at 19 and 29 and 39 and 59. And what happened was as soon as they got 500, they were like, well, now I want to get to a thousand. And now I want to get to 2000. And dad, do you think I could save 5,000? And they they slowly created this habit of just they were putting money away and now they don't want to keep more than a certain amount in checking because they know that idle money is dangerous money. <laughs> They'll go spend it. So they keep kicking it to savings. And then when they hit a savings level, I'm like, okay, let's talk about investing. So these are just ha- we're habits stacking all the way along the way. But it boils down to how are you budgeting and are you creating the habit of, you know, identifying this much goes here and this much goes here early early on and then doing it often with discipline so that it becomes just ingrained. Man. Like when you talk about your kids, like one of my proudest moments as a dad with my oldest daughter, she called me, she went to nursing school. Um, she only used like $9,000 of her entire college fund. Cause she had different scholarships work. Amazing. Did all the right things. She started doing nursing. And then um, about a, a year, 18 months, she goes, Hey dad, who's your financial guy? She goes, I've been working and I just keep saving like you and mom taught me. And she goes, I have about $90,000 to put into. And I'm like, 90,000. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like most people, like, I don't know. I was, I was so proud of her. And then she, she would talk to our financial guy and then just put that money, locked it away. Amazing. So, yeah, she did. It was really cool. That's amazing. And I, and I think here's, you know, we talked about mindset in, in the first episode and one of the things that I really wanted to uh, make sure my kids knew, and obviously your daughter knows, is that saving money is not hard to do. No. Right. And and that 90 grand is not an insurmountable amount of money to put away at a young age. Yeah. That's a mindset shift because some people are like, oh my gosh, 90 grand, you have to be 30 or 40 before you have that amount of money. Yep. And it's not, it's just not the case. Um so anyway, we'll talk more, I'm sure, about normalizing amounts and how to do all that today. So what is like, so like when we talk from a budgeting standpoint, so I think yep. that's one of the biggest challenges for probably 
individuals, couples, families, like, yep. um, so what, what do you recommend in that? Like how, what is the best approach on budgeting? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think the idea of budgeting can be very restrictive for some people okay. because it feels like now I just have to limit where I'm, you know, where I'm spending. Yep. And my mentality has always been fairly uh, straightforward, which is the easiest way to create long-term wealth is to have a spread between what you make and what you spend for as long as humanly possible. So if we're always making more than we spend and we're putting that money away, we'll be in good shape. So high level, that's, that's the idea that we want to capture. Okay. From a budgeting perspective, what my, what my wife and I have figured out how to do is we, we budget fixed expenses. Okay. So we know exactly what our fixed expenses are going to be in terms of our mortgage payment, our utilities, all the bills that stay exactly the same, cell phone bill, et cetera. Anything that's exactly the same, we know what that is. We try and limit that to somewhere around 30%, maybe 40% of what we make. Okay. Okay. The, there is another tranche that are variable expenses. And variable expenses for us would be gas, groceries, haircuts, clothing, um, you know, dinners out, nights out, going to the show, uh, kids' events, any of those kinds of things. We try and keep that at around 30% okay. of whatever our income is. And if we're doing the math on that, that means there's usually at least 30% left over of whatever yep. our income is. Um, yep. we, we continually, now, you know, we're a little bit more advanced in age. So <laughs> we, we have minimized our expenses over time. And now we have less fixed expenses and more variable money. Okay. So the variable expenses generally stay at that 30% mark, but it means there's more money to invest and to put to work for us. If someone's just getting started, here's what that might look like. Your fixed expenses may be closer to like 50 or 60%. Okay. Because we're talking mortgage, we're talking your student loan payment, car payment, um, you know, any of your utilities and monthly recurring expenses that are the same. That could be 60% of your income. Yep. At that level, 30% could be out there for variable expenses. And that would be all the same categories I just listed. And if you're doing the math, that, that means there's 10% left over. And traditional wisdom says if you put away 10% of everything you make, right? The richest man in Babylon, written yep. by George S. Clayson in the 1930s, <laughs> 10% of everything you make is yours to keep, was yep. the advice he gave. And if you follow that advice, you'll have plenty of money in retirement, provided that that 10% money is, is actively being invested somewhere. Like you're putting it in the S&P 500, you're putting it in real estate, you're putting it somewhere. Um, so that for us is, is just how we began was that 10% was always going away no matter what. For doctors that are listening, as your income grows, as your practice improves and succeeds, the, the goal shouldn't be necessarily to continually expand your lifestyle, though some doctors will. Yep. And there is a very real disease called doctoritis, which is <laughs> where, where people go out and they're like, well, I'm making you know, 200, 300 grand now, so I'm going to go live like I'm making 500. It's, it's definitely keeping up with the Joneses. I deserve this new house, new car, second home, third home, whatever it may be. 
and doctoritis will bite you in the butt at some point. So the goal should be, from, from my perspective, that as you make more and more, your expenses should actually, they, they will go up a little bit, but they're not going to go up commensurately. Okay. And because we're trying to create a bigger and bigger spread between what our income and our expenses are. And this, you know, requires some commitment, some diligence. Um, but ultimately, if you've created the, the strategy of the percentages that you're using, the percentages tell you what to do with that money, right? So however much you make, it's like, well, 10% of what we made is this. That's what's going into savings. And we have to live on this, which might mean we're not going out to eat as many times this month. <laughs> or to be more creative, where you eat or how you eat. Like That's exactly right. <laughs> like some of my best dates were some of my least expensive, but most thoughtful creative. And so um, I, I love that thought process. I had very similar, like our habit was to save minimum of 10%. Ultimately, um, like before I got my divorce, like we were down to 50 to 60% was our, like what we lived on. And then we were yep. able to save or invest 40%. And that was awesome. a really happy place. And we didn't live like, I had some other friends who had nicer cars. Like I was, I'm always been a 10 year car guy. Like I buy a car 10 years. Yes. Um, I feel great in that. Um, one of the other things we talked about and you were one of the first people I've ever shared this with outside of my wife was I've only ever bought a house that was my annual income. And so whatever my annual income was, that's the house I could afford. So I was always right in that where I hear all these people really struggling with having like making a hundred thousand, but having a million dollar home. And yeah. it's just really eating up a lot of that. And I think that would go into that like that fixed in expense. Like if your fixed expenses, like 60, 70%, I don't know how you do it and do those other things. Yeah. Well, and we talked about this a little bit, um, I think in episode one, but the, the, the interest to income ratio, yeah. if someone's got a million dollar home and you're making a hundred, 150 grand, the majority of your income is getting burned up, eaten by interest. And so, yeah, you're living in a great home, but you're not able to build wealth or eliminate debt, which were the two fundamental, you know, ideas behind what your income should be doing. Um, I think it, it speaks a little bit to delayed gratification. Yeah. I, you know, we, we live in a beautiful home, 5,200 square feet. We love this house. We love the neighborhood. Um, it's not a million dollar home in Des Moines. It would be a, a million or $2 million home, any other major city in the, in the country. Um, but it, but even in looking at some of those, I think, what would I give up in order to live in those, those places? Am I willing to do that? If the answer is yes, then, you know, have at it. I don't mean to keep anyone from that, but know what you're doing and what you're giving up in the process and be looking for the strategies. Like we're going to teach here in a couple episodes of how to, how to minimize that, that interest expense. Yeah, I love that. I think begin with the end in mind, like as you were talking, it really was bringing back to the space of like, we're not telling you what you should create. We're not trying to define success for you. But so many people say one thing, but they're doing another thing. They say, oh, I want to be healthy, but then they're eating at McDonald's or uh, they're yeah. not exercising. And I think there's so many financial contradictions. And you know, Patrick Gentempo said this, but we can never grow beyond our level of contradiction. So if we're saying we want one thing and doing something else, we're going to be stuck in this financial loop and we're going to be pissed. We're going to yes. be, be a, a lot of people turn into a victim versus like, nope, I have control over this. And that's what like Adam and I are so committed to is we want to give you the tools so that you don't have to be a victim. You get to make a conscious choice. I'm disconnected from your conscious choice, but don't blame me when you're like, when there's contradiction or, and I know nobody's blaming me, but don't, don't blame other people 
for the contradictions in your life. And so begin with the end in mind, what kind of life do you want to live? What does that look like? And it hands down starts with, you know, good habits and, and budget is that first habit. It's like, that's your plan. So just like yeah. a workout plan, your chiropractic care recommendations plan, whatever that plan is, but budgeting is where your plan starts. And so this is such a crucial space to have a rhythm. And Adam, one of my questions for you um, is what do you think the right rhythm for meetings is on finances for like a household? I love the idea of money dates. My wife and I have money dates all the time. I know you said yours are like, show me the money yep. sessions or something. <laughs> Weekly. Two o'clock um, Mondays. <laughs> we we probably do. Well, not probably. We do a money date once a, once a month. Once a month. Okay. Um, our cadence is a little less than yours. I, th I think once a week is awesome because even when you told me that, I thought, oh, yeah, we could actually have ours a little bit more often. I tend to, first of all, in a, in a family setting or a couple setting, I think there needs to be a, a healthy level of conversation about who is doing what. Right. Because mm -hmm. some people will say, I pay all the bills. They do all the X, Y, and Z, right? They, yep. they take care of these things. I take care of these things. And what can often happen in a, in a couple is one person is paying all the bills and moving all the money. And then the other one steps in and does it like, oh, I just, you know, went in and did this because I thought it would be helpful. And it screws up the other person's entire system. Yes. <laughs> Has happened in our family. Um, <laughs> I know better than that, but I'm now in communication with my wife about, hey, we're going to make a lump sum payment to this, or we're putting, I'm going to, I'm going to write a check for 25 grand. We're putting it in this policy. I just wanted you to know about it. Here's where the money's coming from. So long as we're in touch about those things, generally speaking, everything is copacetic. Um, but it's when there is a lack of communication and honesty and transparency where money challenges generally begin. And so, you know, what's the right cadence once a month minimum, okay. but as you're getting started, if you and your significant other are not on the same page financially, you've got to meet more than that. And you've really got to get on the same page. So I, I have one quick tip on that. And, and that is that have a conversation with your spouse about what their earliest money memory was and what they heard growing up. And the reason behind this is your money personality is set by the age of nine. And science, science is, there have been studies that have proven this out, that young kids from zero to nine subconsciously take in messages from their parents. And the messages are things like, we're broke. We can't afford that. You know how many hours I'm going to have to work in order to pay for that? Um, you know, debt's normal. I'll always have a car payment. I'll always have a mortgage payment. They might say things like, um, banks are greedy, banks are evil, rich people are evil. You know, they're taking in the, the messages from Disney movies, candidly, where do you, have you ever noticed the villains in Disney movies are always rich people? Yep. I, now that you, as you were saying that, yeah, like that's really true. So the subconscious message might be, I shouldn't have money because it's, it, it's going to make me evil. And one of my mentors one time told me that actually money only amplifies who you who you actually are. So if you're a really kind, generous person, you'll be more kind and generous. If you're an asshole, you'll be a, a bigger asshole. <laughs> That's what he told me. Uh, part of my language. But, uh, but, but this idea of what, what did you hear growing up and what is your earliest money memory? A as a kid, we each had some instance, some experience that we put meaning on. And that meaning that we put on that event 
sort of became how we see the world. And so as an example, if, if as a child you heard, well, go ask your mom, she always has money. Subconsciously, you may have thought, well, men don't have money and men aren't supposed to have money. So only women have money. And then what some, if, if extending this metaphor, this example, if you grew up in that mindset, you might give all your money to your spouse, a female, right? To your wife, yeah. um, who was terrible at managing money, right? Because she grew up in a household where, where the, the theory was, well, we'll never have a lot, so we might as well spend it now. And you can see how if you're not linked together on budgeting and where money's going and what the future looks like, it can spin out of control real quick. And that's what leads to divorce is they're like, well, she just, she, you know, frittered away all my money or he, he wasn't good at managing money or whatever, whatever it was. Right. Where that boils down to is let's have an honest conversation about how we grew up around money and what we liked and didn't like, or what we learned and how we're going to live differently. Wow. And what you want to create and what you want to create. So it's, I will often say it's amazing what two people who are in lockstep can build because they can do it faster and at a higher level than what two people who are not on the same page would build. Yeah, no, it's so true. Like a, I wrote down like a page of notes just on what you were saying. A couple of things that came up for me was one of the first things when my uh, wife and I got together is we made rules about, cause I'm a spender and she was a saver my first wife and then my second wife, we were both the spenders of the family. So that's created a different environment for both of us. Yeah. But both relationships, we created a, a spend limit. So anything over $200, we just had to have a conversation. Didn't have to be a big conversation. It wasn't asking yeah. for permission, but it was like, is it cool if we do this? Is, is that okay? And so, and that number grew to like a thousand, but when we first started, it was 200. Now we're like, yep. anything over a thousand, we have to have a conversation. Otherwise we'll be out. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. The I love where you said like, our money blueprint. That's what I talk to doctors about. Like you have a money yep. blueprint. It's either healthy or unhealthy. And I love the age yep. of nine. I'm going to dive and do some research. And I love what you said about like, just double click on that. Like I, money doesn't change people. It just amplifies their character. I thought that was huge. And so like that part, like just hit that back 30 seconds a couple of times and re-listen to everything Adam just said, because that was like gold. There was so much information there. Um, and I love the regularity and, um, it is important just to have a rhythm in that if it's every week, every other week. Um, and because one of the things, so, and I learned this from Dr. France and so he called it a coffee break and I love that name too. And he did it weekly. So we started doing it weekly and then he does a date night weekly. So as you're going through, and especially if you're new in building a practice, like there are different seasons, but like one of the things is sometimes we'll sacrifice our health and our life to create this practice or wealth. And mm. if you can just, block those two things in every week of like date night and, you know, coffee break or show me the money. Um, I think those is, is an incredible space and will pay off for years versus leading. In my case, it led to a divorce because I gave everything up for this business. Cause that was what was the most important thing to me on the yeah. planet um, at that time. Cause I felt like I had to be a good provider. So just be really careful and make agreements with your spouse. Like, I started a new business um, recently and I had the conversation. I'm like, honey, it's going to be two to three years. Can we handle this in this season of our life right now? And what so, a great question. Uh, we're in the, we're in the midst of that. I mean, th this is such a valuable conversation <laughs> for me to have, Cliff, honestly, um, because 
you know, I have uh, worked really hard to build what I've built Mm -hmm. and, and every now and again, I want to, I want to burn it all down and start over again (laughs) because I'm a crazy entrepreneur like that sometimes. Yes. And my wife knows it. She's been unbelievably supportive about all of it, but I also know there's stress involved in it that, that needs to be there and be, be talked about. One of the questions I would pose to, or I would suggest that, that your listeners pose to their significant other is how much do you need at any given time to feel safe and secure? Oh. So if there's an amount of money on the sidelines, how much is that, that, because, you know, when I was 24 or five, I was newly married. I asked my wife, um, how much do you need in savings to feel safe and secure? And we're in our early twenties. We're paying off a bunch of debt. We got student loans and whatnot. And she goes $30,000. And I thought she'd hit the Listerine too hard that morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, you are out of your mind. And she said, you ask, that's my answer. 30 grand. Okay. And for, for most couples, one person is going to have a smaller number and one person is going to have a larger number. And if you don't meet in the middle somewhere or, or even go to the high number, yeah. you're the lower number person. If you don't go to that number, there will always be financial stress oh because that person's always in a stage of, oh my gosh, they're in, they're in subtle panic mode. If that amount of money isn't there. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I think it should get less potentially over time or it changes as you age and you make more money and you have more assets and whatnot, but you've got to have that, that conversation early on um, or else there will be conflict. No question. Yeah. And, and so many times people are in this money conversation where they're out of integrity in that space. And then it rolls over into their personal, their date, their every interaction. And if they just handled that one conversation about money and made that one piece of their life, right, then everything else would be right. Yep. Exactly. And like, I, I loved what you said about like, what's that number? And mine would be like, my recommendation would be always go to whatever the highest one, because like in my relationship with my wife, I'm, and she's still, I, I think we're still going back and forth. We've been um, married since 2017, but I'm like, I'm a no compromise. So either I'm going to show you this is the best way, or you show me yours is the best way. I'm good either way, but I don't want to be in a relationship where we're compromising. I always want to be doing yes. what's best for the relationship. Love that. The the theory I use on that is principle or preference. Okay. And to, to make it very, very simple, if you want to paint the bathroom, cool, I'm down. Let's do it. What, what color? If she said black on principle, I'd be like, I don't principally, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> but if she says, I want to do it chartreuse and here's why I'd be like, well, that's your preference. So yeah, wh- whatever color. So principle or preference, I tend to, I will defer to her preference unless it's a principle of the matter. And then I'll, you know, make my voice known. That's so powerful. Principle or preference. I love that. And then, um, wow. So yeah, that was incredible. So budget, make sure you guys are planning it. This is a begin with the end in mind. This is such a crucial piece because if you don't know where you're headed, you don't know, you're not going to be able to create a roadmap. Everything else beyond this is going to be a waste of time. So you really have to sit down. You have to be your partner. If there's a partner involved, you both have to be on the same page. It can't be like, I want this and I want this. And you guys are in two different worlds because it'll be like, I always told people like, I always wanted all my horses pulling in the same direction. Otherwise they were going to pull me apart. And so if mm. one partner wants to go this way and one wants to go the other way, 
you guys are going to tear each other apart and you're going to create nothing. And there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, I had one, one thought <clears throat> as you say that that comes up cliff and that, and it is that, um, that the components of a good budget we went through, right. It's fixed expenses, variable expenses, investing and saving income. But, but there's two pieces of that that are important to note. And that is playing good offense and playing good defense. Oh yeah. And, Good defense is minimizing your expenses. Yeah. Good offense is increasing your income. Okay. And if you're doing both of those simultaneously, the budgeting piece of it really does take care of itself. So, you know, I'll, I'll often hear the, the gurus and authors and radio personalities say, well, you know, cut out the lattes and <laughs> don't do this. You, you're not going to save your way to wealth. You're not going to cut out enough coffees <laughs> to get to a point where you're, you're money ahead. Um, so I, I don't begrudge anyone for a Starbucks habit or addiction. I have it. <laughs> what I do want to do is minimize the other expenses that I have that, that don't really add to my life at all. Yeah. And maximize the amount of income I'm making playing good offense. And if you're a team and one's great at offense and one's great at defense, even better. But keep in mind those two concepts. We're playing good offense and good defense at the same time as we build our budget. Yeah, I love that. I love the good offense, good defense, and making sure you're protected because so often we have to put way bigger amounts of reserves instead of having insurance to cover that, which I think we'll talk about in infinite banking and that whole thought process. Absolutely. But that's how you build that defense so you can go play offense because if you don't have a good defense, you're never going to win the game. I mean, there is no Super Bowl champion that didn't have a top or a top, you know, I don't know, but they had a good defense going in. Um, and the one thing is you were talking about the road, less stupid by Keith Cunningham. You talked about like, you're talking about these businesses. And so I always tell okay. chiropractors, I'm like, if you're looking at a new thing, I go, what's the upside, what's the downside and can you handle the downside? So that's one of my favorite yes. thoughts is I'm kind of going into different things. And when you were sharing that and one of the other things, and I just want to wrap with this part is like, when I think about this, some of the things that like we have some bad thoughts in what money does because my wife, when we first got together, we were in two totally different worlds. Like her first marriage, she her husband worked at a, he was a um, engineer. So he had a business job and then she marries an entrepreneur. She's like, I have no idea why I did that move. <laughs> but, um, but you know, a couple of things she saw when she was young, like her uncle got a lot of money and became not as nice of a per like, and so she said, Oh, if you have money, you're a bad, you become a bad person. And so, and then the other one that she had was money's complex. Like when you have more money, it's more complex. Mm. And then, um, so I think those are two big ones that like my wife and I spent a lot of time working through because yes, it is. And you know, I couldn't say having more money is more complex. You have to have different insurance. Like my wife, my mom, single mom growing up, we didn't have anything. We didn't have to have insurance for anything. We didn't have anything to protect. Right. <laughs> so right. We didn't have to have a very good defense. There was very little defense necessary. We were mo all playing all offense. So it was two minute drill every day for our family. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, but yeah, so the budget is, that is where you set that plan. Like your, your X's and O's, your blocking and tackling, your offense and your defense. Because once you know where you're headed, then you can be like, yep, we need this player. We need this player. Or we need this and we need that. So um, yeah, this was an awesome episode. Um, better than like, I don't know, they just keep getting better. So, um, next time we're going to be talking about the debt snowball versus the debt avalanche. So choosing your strategy. And then I know Adam, your company talks about the shred method. And so I think that's the place where we really start to dive into like, okay, so, so I feel like most Americans do have some level of debt, whatever that is. So how do we attack it? So tune in for that yeah. one. 
Um, Adam, again, thanks for your genius. This was incredible. And I look forward to the next episode. Thank you, Cliff. Me too. All right. For opportunities to build your dream practice presented by Dr. Fisher, reach out to Align Life Centers for Natural Health at AlignLifeOpportunity.com.